malo. Yeah, I've been planting, been working, been laboring. He'll give me increase. Hey, this is the season. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. My Lord. So I want you to understand why it's necessary for Reggie to go through right now. Because this is his, this is his relative who was killed last week. And her brother, if you don't know the family, has had some significant health problems. He's had a stroke. And he was the minister of music at his father's church. And so for him to be able to come and to sing this tribute to his sister yesterday, emotionally it was almost more than we could bear. So I don't know how long Gerald had been planting that seed. But yesterday was his season to reap what he'd been sowing. And so I'm so thankful that he had relatives that he could go to who are so able in the form of Reg and others to help him pay that tribute to his little sister. Well, his younger sister. Pray for him. Ari's all right. Ari's all right. Ari is safe in the hands of the Lord. We're the ones who torn up back here because of the circumstances. Pray for us. Let's see what the Lord would teach us today through his word and see if that can help us get to a, another space. I got to tell you, this sermon series that I'm venturing into starting today, Paradox, Truth Through Contradictions, Truth Through Contradictions, it seems like it ought to be one way, but it's another. It's probably going to be maturing for you in your walk. But that's a good thing because God wants us to grow to another level in him. And so I hope you'll receive it in that way, and I believe you will. The first lesson comes from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 5. The Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 5. If you'll if you just go to verse 41, there's a short passage there that will lay our foundation for for teaching this morning, Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, Jesus is talking. Sermon on the Mount, he's telling, he's telling us what the kingdom of God is going to be like and teaching us our responsibilities as believers 
during that discourse. And he's just gone through a period of instruction where he's talking about the laws of restitution. The preceding verses, the verses preceding verse 41, Jesus is talking about how we have to deal with our enemies. What a poignant statement today. How we have to interact with those who would, as the scripture says, despitefully use us. Those who would take advantage of us. And let me just give some context by reading up back on verse 38. Jesus says, you have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on that right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, give him your cloak as well. And then verse 41 and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him two miles, is what Jesus is saying. Today for a little while, I want to see if we can understand the concept. doesn't make sense, but it's the truth that helps us. Give them more than they expected. Give them more than they expected. Jesus has just dropped a bombshell on the people who were sitting there listening to him. And unless you understand the cultural context of where they were, then you can't fully explain how they would have sat there looking at him with their mouths open and perhaps with their fists clenched, that he would even suggest such a thing to them. During the time of Jesus' ministry, he came in and taught truths. Now, you need to understand this. The way you live in might not be the right way to live. Unless someone who can come in as a standard bearer and show you what that right living is, you'll keep on doing what you're doing. Jesus came in and taught them that you've been living in a way that is not honoring to God. You've been acting in a course, taking a course of action that does not bring credit to him. And I want to tell you today that that same thing is happening right now. The previous verses I read came from the law that was given to the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. God had to give them every aspect of their life and show them how to behave. And so he ended up giving them what we call the law and instructed them and directed them to pass, I mean, to, to follow the law as he laid it out. But can I tell you, it's been difficult, it's always difficult for us to follow the law. And in fact, the people of Israel tried and tried and failed miserably. And so what ended up happening throughout the ages, the eye for an eye became revenge. And they took advantage of all of the precepts that God had given them. And if we really want to go Bible on them, it was Jesus who actually wrote it for them because all things were made by him. And so Jesus had to come in the form of a man 
in order to show them how to live the law out perfectly, which he did, but also live it in a manner that's honoring to God. So what happened in this context? It seems that there was a rule that tore up the law of restitution. And that's what Jesus is talking about in these verses. The law of restitution. What's the law of restitution? That means if a man somehow injures my horse, he has to do this, that, or the other in order for me to get back the value of my horse. Or if he puts out my eye, what does he have to do to pay restitution for me so that I can be made as whole as possible? That was known as the law of restitution. But there was also a system in place during that time that was called the law of the second mile. You see, the Romans were in charge of Jerusalem. Because they were in charge of Jerusalem, they were allowed to make the laws that everyone had to follow. And because there were Roman soldiers everywhere, they could use what's called conscription to make the Jewish people do whatever they wanted them to do within the law. And one of the laws they had, Reg, was a simple one. If a Roman soldier was walking down the street with his backpack, and he decided he needed some help with that backpack, he could call any Jewish citizen and compel him to get his backpack and carry it a mile for him. Carry that heavy backpack. That meant no matter what you were doing in your life, you would have to stop what you were doing and respond to that Roman soldier and carry his backpack for a mile. You can imagine that over time, this built such animosity between the Jews and the Romans that it was unthinkable. It's another reason why the Jews hated the Romans within the community. They didn't want to see them coming because they could at, at any time disrupt their lives. You could be walking with your family on your way to do something extremely important and any Roman soldier could pull you out of that setting and say, take this to the next mile. Now, a Roman mile was the equivalent of about a thousand steps. And so disrupting your life like that not only meant you had to carry a burden for them, but you also in addition to carrying the burden, had time wasted from your day. Now, initially, that was a good reason for the Romans doing this. And if you don't know the history of this time, then you don't know that the Romans were able to create a civilized society. They created a highway system throughout the country that was second to none. And it was because of the highway system that they created that they were able to communicate effectively from one place to another. They also, in that highway system, created mile markers. The same mile markers we see on the road now, they created those. And because of those mile markers, they could in a moment's notice, get word from one post to another by asking for the local citizens, when they didn't have enough soldiers, to help them in their service. Engineering, from an engineering perspective, it was a wonder. The only problem is they never had enough troops to do it, which is why they always had to pull on the Jewish people. 
And the Jewish people were resentful. So imagine now you're one of those Jews who has time and time again had your day interrupted when you were out taking care of your own business by a Roman soldier who stops you in your place and compels you to take his baggage for another, another mile. And Now watch this now. It's not one mile that stops you. It's actually two miles because you have to go a mile there and then you have to come back a mile. So it's a complete disruption in your day. And when Jesus drops this bombshell, when he tells them, when he asks you to go one mile instead of one, go two, you know the room would have erupted. You mean I'm already mad at this man for asking me to disrupt my day by going one mile, which translates to two. Now Jesus, you're suggesting that it not be two, but instead four, because it's got to be two there and two back. What manner of man is teaching this? What in the world are you telling me? Because this doesn't make any sense. That's why it's a paradox. Because you're teaching me that I somehow will be better by doing more in service of someone who I can't stand? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying what I'm telling you today, always, always give them more than they expected. Because when you learn how to follow the principle of giving them more than they expected, then you find yourself in a place that's reserved for those who are most faithful in the kingdom of God. Let's see if I can give you a little bit more clarity on it. Jesus taught them this. First of all, he doesn't teach us to ignore the harm that someone is doing to you. That's not what he's saying. But he gives us a new way to move past the harm that someone has given you. He's not saying if someone hits you, don't say it doesn't hurt. It, it, that, that doesn't hurt. He's not suggesting that to you. He acknowledges the hurt. Watch this. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 4, he, he says these words. Jesus taught this. It's a way for, uh, for us to understand what forgiveness is. He says, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, watch this. He says, rebuke him. If he trespass against you, if he hits you, tell him it hurts. Don't walk around acting like he didn't do something to harm you. The problem is not that you acknowledge the pain caused. The problem is then you drag that through the rest of your life. How does one recover from the pain caused? The law of restitution turned on his head. You think that you have a right to always hold that harm, that ill that he's done to you over his head. And what Jesus is saying is there's a better way to deal with it. He says, if thy brother trespass against thee, you have the right to rebuke him. Watch this now. It's the next part. And if he repents, Jesus says, forgive him. Forgive him if he repents. If he has it in him to acknowledge the harm he's done, the first step toward resolving it is you must forgive him. Verse 4 says, and if he trespassed against you seven times, 
Because the natural question is going to be, well, what if he keeps doing the same thing? He says, and if he trespass against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn against you, then God says, Jesus says, you are expected to forgive him every time. Now, I know this doesn't sit well with folk. Because some of us build our lives around the hurt that other folk have given us. Some of us build our whole psyche over how somebody has done me wrong. In fact, we draw more energy from the failure to forgive than the freedom we would find in actual forgiveness. We've put our whole personality into being a victim of what someone else has done to us. You always say, but what about my rights? I forgive him and he gets away with what he's done to me. Well, let me tell you this, because this applies to those of us who are believers. You, you ask, do I have a right to retaliate against him because of the wrongs that he's done to me? Well, what Jesus is telling us is there's a better way to resolve it than retaliation. When you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you have a higher responsibility to deal with those who would use you. And in fact, when you've been wrong in Christ, come on now, we're talking about the same man who preached, who prayed for those who were crucifying him. Of course, he's going to have an elevated way of looking at people who do him wrong because in his opinion, he said they don't know what they're doing. Now, that may, or not, may not be true. All he's saying to them is, in your Christian heart, you need to allow your rights to be second to Christ and what he requires of you. Listen to what the scripture says, Ephesians 4 and 32. He said, he wrote, Paul wrote, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven them. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when Jesus was praying on the cross for his crucifiers to be killed, God heard him. God exercised his grace in allowing those crucifiers to still have opportunity. They're killing his only begotten son, but God still allowed them to have opportunity to be forgiven ultimately of the crime that they had committed. And so the command applies to every believer and every situation that you find yourself in. There is no exception. You know if crucifying Jesus on the cross was not an exception. Then there's hardly anything that can happen in your life that would also be an exception. And so what Jesus is saying is that the opportunity for a new way lies on the other side of you fulfilling that obligation. Watch this now. The obligation, the law said, if he asks you to go one mile, go two. The obligation you have is to go one mile. That's what the law says. Jesus says, once you get to that one mile obligation, you then have an opportunity to do something greater. Come on now, I want you to hear me. When I do what I'm supposed to do, if I have faith enough, then I can do what I wanna do. You can't make me do no more 
than the one mile. But if I have courage and faith enough, then I can step forward and do it not because you asked me to, but because I want to. Which means I have the freedom to forgive you if I have the courage to do so. But most of the time, we do just the bare minimum in any situation. We do it on all our jobs, just enough. But watch this now. I bet if I had everybody in here, even with the ones I got in here now, the places you like to frequent, the people you like to deal with, are the folk who go above and beyond what they're supposed to do. Oh, oh, oh yeah, the restaurants you go to. I guarantee you, you keep going to them because they give you more than just a little bit. They always give you more than the minimum, which means you love spending your money with them. Yeah, the people you deal with are the ones who are long-suffering when it comes to you. You can call them and they'll talk to you, but then they'll let you stay on the phone, <laughs> continuing to tell you what's going on in your life more than just a little. I can go through case after case. It's when they fulfill the obligation They've chosen to do more than the minimum, and therein lies the opportunity. Well, what's the opportunity when someone has used you? What's in it for me? This is the philosophy that Jesus Christ is trying to help us understand. The window to witness opens with the why. The window to witness opens with the why. Walk with me. I'm a Jewish citizen. I'm sitting here taking care of my business. All of a sudden, a Roman soldier comes up to me and says, Andre, help me take this a mile. I need you to carry this for me. So I can grab his backpack, and I can angrily trudge down for a mile. You know they got to feel it. They feel the heat. They feel the anger. They know you're mad. They probably don't say anything. If it was in today's time, you wouldn't say anything to them at all. You just huff and puff that one mile. And when you get there, you would drop the bag and hurry back the other way. But imagine, if you will, what Jesus is saying. You grab the bag. You walk a mile. And when you get to the end of that mile, you say to him, if you don't mind, I'm going to go another mile with you. The first thing that person is going to do is look at you and say, why? Why would you do that? What is it about the situation that makes you want to go another mile? What makes you want to give a little more? The window to witness opens with the why, which means you now have an opportunity to share with them what makes you different than everybody else? Yeah, you have an opportunity to show them that I believe in a God who allows me to have the strength to be able to not just walk this first mile with you, but give me the courage and the love to want to walk another mile with you. In other words, I'm not mad at you because of what you made me do. And in fact, I love you enough to want to walk another mile with you and tell you about this man, Jesus. But if you don't use witness as your primary objective as a believer, then you'll lose sight of the opportunity that you have to convert someone. Watch this now. If you follow what Jesus is saying, if you have another, enough of those, uh, of those two-mile people, before long the Romans will stop asking you to even do one mile. <laughs> because you would have converted them one 
at a time. That's our problem right now. We'd rather just stay mad at folk instead of trying to love folk into a new level of understanding. The person who's wronged you, having acknowledged done so, still has the possibility of being your brother or your sister. It's not out of the ordinary that you could become friends, that they could become believers. I know I don't hear no amens out there. Why? Because you're still stuck in that one mile. You don't want to get beyond that one mile. Watch this now. Giving more than is expected is your freedom to express your devotion in Jesus Christ. What good does it do if all the believers in Christ Jesus stay mad all the time? Who wants to be a part of that relationship? Who wants to be a part of a church where everybody's always mad about something? I want to be a part of a fellowship where folk are forgiven. I want to see the forgiveness exemplified in folk who've been done wrong, not just because you like them, but because Christ commanded it to be so. And the only way you can find that level of forgiveness is by going beyond the obligation to the second mile. Jesus is trying to teach us to be more like him and less like us. That's what the power of going the second mile is. See, the first mile is motivated by the law. First mile, we don't even pay attention to, Red. We don't even pay attention to the first mile. We grab the burden and we trudge along. But it's the first mile that's the hardest. Oh, yeah, because it's in the first mile that you got to get your attitude together. It's in the first mile that you got to draw the strength to correct your way of being. The first mile that you're required to do is the one that strengthens you to go the next step of the way. The second win never kicks in on the first mile. It never does. The truth is that first mile is the one that you usually spend huffing and puffing and ignoring anything that's going on. You've lost sight of the entire process unless you enter it with the second mile mindset. The second mile is not motivated by the law. The second mile is motivated by love. Now, there's a whole difference between the law and love, but not just love for others. The second mile is motivated by love for God. So in other words, I've got the freedom to show you that I'll go to first mile because I'm compelled to do so, but I'm going to second mile because I love the Lord that much. Let me ask you this. What have you been willing to do to show somebody how much you love the Lord? How much more have you been willing to give to exemplify your love for the Lord? Have you gotten stuck so much in just fulfilling your obligation that you've not taken the opportunity to really express lavishly how much you lo love the Lord? Come on now. You want God to always do more than enough. But you want to do just yourself barely enough when it comes to every aspect of your life. You just want to do enough to get along. True love demands that you give and give out of a loving heart. So if, you want, if we want to have a positive impact on the world, 
If we want to minister to people who really don't like us and can't stand us, then we got to show them something different than the world is doing. I know how hard it is right now. Plenty of folk in the community want retribution because they don't understand another level of love. No one has ever shown them a second mile love mindset. And because they've never had anybody show them and teach them a second mile mindset, they do what comes natural. And they retaliate. Only the obligation. I often hear that in folks' conversation. Children expect their parents to always do more than just enough. But sometimes parents get satisfied in doing the bare minimum for their children. When your children grow up with a bad minimum uh, mindset, it only perpetuates the problem that Jesus is having to teach to. First mile motivated by the law. Second mile is motivated by love. Watch this. When you learn how to give more than is expected, this is the other side of it, then you also start reaping more than is expected. Somebody going to shout on that one now. Yeah, because we always want to reap more but we don't want to give more. But see, it's the same law that Jesus has been teaching to his disciples all along, that, that the apostles have been telling us that God loves a what? Cheerful giver. How do you get the cheerful live, uh, giver stance if you're mad the whole time? If you just do the bad minimum, you don't ever get the cheerful giver posture. So one who is a second miler in giving is the one who sows bountifully. This is my season. Yeah, stingy people don't sow bountifully. They just put the bare minimum in. And when you put the bare minimum in, you can't expect a bumper crop. But when you sow bountifully, you can sing, this is my season. To reap what I sown. I put a lot of seed in the ground because I'm expecting God to grow me. I become a member of the Second Mile Club because I want the Lord to know I love him that much. And when he sees fit to give me my return, then I expect it to be bountifully. The Second Mile Club, but I got to get over myself. I got to get past my own thinking and start thinking with the mind of Christ. And Christ said, if he compels you to go one mile, then learn how to go two. And if you learn how to go two, you'll be walking in my love for other folk. When you learn how to do that, reaping was in the lives, not just, see, people always want to make it financial. People want to make it financial. I believe Ariel was a second miler. I believe she was a second mile. How do I know that? Because yesterday I saw a garden of bountiful reaping coming to play. People who live minimally don't get love like that. People who live minimally, who just give the bare minimum, also reap the bare minimum. And yesterday that was lavish love. And look, it couldn't have been an untruth because every sector of her life, there was bountiful blessings that came out. At home with her family, bountiful blessings. On the job, 
bountiful blessings with her friends, people driving from D.C., Florida, to be here to celebrate bountifully with her. When you learn how to be a second mile giver, you can reap the benefits that come from that extra seed you've sown. There's a military saying that's referred to as uncommon valor. Everybody want to celebrate, everybody today wants to celebrate people for doing their jobs. Yeah, that's all. They do their jobs. And because they just do their job, people want to get celebrated for doing the job they get paid to do. My former pastor used to tell me, you only do extra when you do extra. You only do a bonus when you go above and beyond what you were supposed to do in the first place. But we live in a bonus, we live in a bonus mentality society. Yeah, people always want the extra reward for giving the minimum that they can give. What do you mean, Andre? The greatest example of uncommon valor came in the story of the soldiers who fought at Iwo Jima. Might not mean anything to you. It's famous in the annals of military history. It seems that the United States military came upon an island named Iwo Jima that was really a recovered volcanic island that was completely covered with volcanic rock miles thick. But what the soldiers from the United States and its allies didn't know <coughs> is that the Japanese for years had been tunneling under Iwo Jima and had built miles of city under Iwo Jima such that they had built 1,500 rooms enough for hospitals, bunkers, all under this island. And so when they tried to attack, when the Allies tried to attack the island of Iwo Jima, they found they couldn't even reach the enemy. The bombs they dropped couldn't even penetrate the rock that had been fortified and the Japanese had been put on such high training that they were told that before they could be killed in battle, they would have to kill at least 10 Americans. So they'd pop out of their tunnels, wreak havoc, and then pop back down in their tunnel. Finally, the Allies figured out a way to deal with them, but it was not before over 5,000 American soldiers got killed. And in fact, the battle was so fierce that the commanding general said that during that time, uncommon valor was the norm. That they fought not only for themselves, they fought for every other soldier that was around them. More medals of honor were given in the Battle of Iwo Jima for the United States than at any other conflict in the history of the, of the country. Because those people did much more than anyone could have ever imagined in order to take that island. We want to now call people heroes because they do normal things. We've diminished the value of what hero means. Can I tell you this right now? Uncommon valor is full of people who go the second mile voluntarily. 
who are not willing to just do the bare minimum. They want to do more than enough. It speaks of the recognition to someone who served not just themselves, but a greater cause. And that's what I came to tell you today. When you want to be a second miler, you got to do it for more than just yourself. It's got to be a greater cause that you learn how to, how to serve. The Bible calls us ambassadors for Christ in 2 Corinthians. Ambassadors go out and represent the one who sent them. Even when they're not feeling well, the United States ambassadors still have to go out and represent the United States. Even when they've got sickness and problems in their household, the ambassadors still have to go out and represent the greater cause that they serve. I hope you bring this home to yourself. Even when life ain't going the best you want it to go, you still have to learn how to represent a cause greater than yourself, and that cause is the cause of Christ. And so I came to tell you that one who's a second miler in giving is the one who sows bountifully. One who's a second miler in serving is one who gives more through their opportunities because they enjoy serving for the cause of Christ. And last but not least, Jesus Christ has vividly shown us the second mile in forgiving. In case you didn't pay attention. Jesus Christ was clearly one who was a second mile. Watch this now. Jesus went the second mile for us because the first mile only required that he come to, that he create all that was. He gave it to us. He showed us that here's the law. I expect you to live it. And then he came and showed us that it's possible for you to live this life and not violate God's law. I, I hope you know that. That was the first mile. That's what God required of him. He journeyed the first mile. He stepped out in flesh. He walked the mandated mile that the law required of him. He kept every detail of the law, but he also went the second mile. How do I know that? Because I saw him. He was not just motivated by his love for us, but he loved the Father enough that he was willing to give his whole life for us. That's a second mile giver right there. He was willing to perish, not for his own sake, but he was willing to perish for our sakes. He said, I love you and I'll walk with you and I'll die for you. I'm willing to give my all for you. That's a second mile giver. Took him to the cross. And on that cross, he bore the weight. Not the weight of the Roman soldier's backpack, but he bore the weight of our sins. Not the wrong he had done, but the wrong you and I had done. He took your recalcitrance, your anger, your won't do more, and he carried all of that to the cross. And guess what? Because Jesus was willing to go the second mile, somebody saw him do it. Somebody saw him get resurrected for God, by God for the second mile he went. And that somebody went and told somebody about it. And then that second somebody went and told somebody else. And throughout history, they've been telling the story of Jesus and the second mile until somebody that I knew came and told me about it. Yeah, and I heard the story of Jesus going a second mile. And I've committed myself to telling somebody else that Jesus was a second miler. And I love the Lord, so I want to be a second miler too. My question to you is, are you willing to be in the second mile club? 
Are you willing to always give them more than is expected? I guarantee you, you'll never lose when you adopt the mentality of giving them more than is expected. Is it hard? Absolutely. That's why everybody doesn't do it. But you will reap bountifully. May not be on this side of heaven. But on the other side of heaven, there's a reward for those who honor the Lord by giving themselves in that way. And so my question to you is, have you started your journey? Have you started even on the first mile? Have you started? I'm not compelling you to go that first mile. I'm asking you to sign up for duty. Do you know Jesus? Have you loved him? Do you even know why you should love him? I love him because of what he's done in my life. I love him because he's taken care of me in a manner in which I never could have done. I love him because he's been nothing but good to me. And I came to tell you that he's available to you as well. He hasn't done anything for me that he won't do for you. My question to you is, will you trust him? Start the journey with him today. Give him your life. You'll never regret it for one moment.